0: Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Come on, guys. (laughs) Um Shoot! Thank you. I feel um, celebrated, honored, and and yeah, like Pastor Matt said, I'm I'm just trying to be obedient <laughs> to, to the Lord and uh, and what He's doing. And um, so, if you have heard me preach at some of the Ignite messages, um, you know that I've been. Uh, hey, Kenny, can you turn me down just a hair? Thanks. Um, <laughs> If you've heard me preach before I am um, i've been I've been preaching through a framework of um, how we become more like Jesus that's kind of the, the 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 catchphrase how we we become more like Jesus by et cetera et etc um, and so today we're gonna to be looking at another one um, and this is one that I didn't think I would actually preach on for years like it's one of those ones that you think like a pastor would be able to 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 preach about at like year six or seven or something because um, today, we're becoming more like Jesus by or, or through confessing. Anybody get uncomfortable? <laughs> uh, because I got uncomfortable when, uh, when God put this on my heart back in January. I was like, no, seriously? Like... And it was like a month of back and forth of really like the Lord telling me, no, you're going you're gonna to do it. So after we, we wrestled it out... Um, I'm here, and I'm going to do it on the, the first time I preach on a Sunday. Let's go. But um, that said, the title of my message today is Serious Christians Confess. Serious Christians Confess. And and it feels like a hot take, right? Like, ooh, it's a hot take. And, and sadly, it shouldn't be a hot take. This is and should be a regular known thing for the Christian, and we should be defined by it as somebody who follows Jesus. And so, I'm going to be referencing a lot of different passages today, and so we're just going to have a list of them thrown up there um, for you to, to jot down and reference and just keep track along with me. It takes a little too long to just keep going through all the phones or the Bibles or whatever, but you should have your notes out. Obviously, you guys know that we are a note-taking church. Um, and so, let's dive in. So confession, let's get confessional. <laughs> um, believe me though, this is, this is of the utmost importance for, for you, for me, and for us as a church. And we need to tear down some lies and expose the schemes of the enemy today. Because I would wager that the, the lack of practice and biblical knowledge around confession is one of the main reasons we're seeing prominent Christian leaders and pastors fail and fall in large and devastating ways. And not only that, it's probably one of the main reasons that the church around us for the past 30 years has been stuck in this, this religiosity or this, this spirit of just doing things the same way that you've done them because that's how we've been doing them, right? Yeah. And finally, I think that there's a fear of confession that the fear of confession is probably the main reason that you yourself have been stunted in your own growth and relationship with the Lord. But that's a good thing to to hear this, right? Because if it is that bad, then, then we need to know what the problem is, right? We don't know that there's a good fight to fight if we don't know there's a fight to be had. You know, you don't know something's wrong with your car unless the light comes up on the dash. You know, we don't uh, we can't get to the prog- prog- or we can't get to the cure without first having the prognosis. So my hope is that by the end of this, you won't be scared of the idea of confessing, or of confession, but instead have a hunger to do it. And that's a tall order, I know, but we're going to get get into it, and um, we're going to look at what happens when we we don't confess, what happens when we do confess, and, and then why it's difficult. Easy enough. All right. So let me just quickly clarify a moment that, uh, what I mean when I say confession, because there are actually two types of confession that are found in Scripture. The first one is the confession of your sins, which is the one that makes us all uncomfortable, and then the other is the confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which we all love on the other hand, right? So confession by definition means to profess in agreement with. Now the Greek word for confession is homologeo, that is, that is homo as in same and logeo as in logos or, or the word and so it's the act of saying the same words or repeating them in agreement so for the christian when we confess something we are coming into an agreement with the lord about it we're coming into agreement with what jesus says we're coming into agreement with what scripture says and we're coming into agreement with what the holy spirit is still saying So confession is coming into agreement with what God says. Now, mind you, it's not the other way around. It's not God coming into agreement with what you say. It's you coming into agreement with God, right? just want to say that because we tend to flip-flop those things every now and then. So the first type of confession is confession of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I'm only going to spend a moment talking about this one because I'm here to talk about confession of your sins. But this is worth clarifying. This is still coming into agreement with God, but specifically who Jesus is, and through that confession, that confession of Him as Lord and Savior, we are tied to Him and His salvation. First verse, Romans 10:9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's a good life choice. You should confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. (laughs) So cheesy. (laughs) Now, the other, thanks. Oh, my wife said, that's cute. (laughs) Uh, Now, the other confession is a confession of your sins. And that is you coming into agreement with God about your actions, and specifically the actions that don't align with God's will and design for your life, right? It's professing your agreement with God that you, what you did is not of Christ, it's not life-giving, it's not God glorifying, and so it's you saying, yes, God, I messed up and, and, and I wronged you as the one who created me. Those thoughts and actions are wrong and are not in alignment of how I'm called to live as a redeemed son or daughter, and it is not the embodiment of Christ. It's an honest take. honest inventory of yourself of the things that you've done and and it's you taking ownership of those things and evaluating them in light of scripture you see we we have to use scripture as the, the the ruler or the metric by which we measure ourselves to to see how much we've come up short right and so it's not comparing our actions to our friends or, or what everyone else is doing. It's not comparing yourself to what people say online. It's not comparing yourself uh, to what we find in Hollywood or, or movies and Netflix and stuff, right? It's comparing yourself to Scripture and to the one who is the Word become flesh. Comparing yourself to Jesus. And so confession of your sins is professing an agreement with God about the ways that you, in short, are not like Jesus yet. So that's the bite-sized version confession is professing in agreement with god the ways that you are not like jesus yet and so we see that confession of jesus is a matter of salvation right if we confess that jesus lord and savior that's about salvation but we see that the confession of sins is about something different it's not about that it's about a relational intimacy with the lord you see track with me with this sin of course separates us from god right but I don't mean that just in the, in, in the sense in the, that it, that it causes, causes us a need for a Savior, a need for Jesus. But sin also separates us in our intimacy with the Lord. Which is a big deal, right? Because we're, we're called to be imitators of Christ. And, and we're supposed to be close to the Father. Close like Jesus was close. So that's our goal. Our goal of confessing our sin is that it will be the fast track for us to get back to the right Road, the right path, the right relationship. So, what happens when we don't confess? Um, my, my question actually is, is: What's our problem with talking about our sin? Hey, why is it? Why is it uncomfortable? Why is it so difficult? I mean, being wrong um, is never fun, and, and failing hurts. I understand that, but. If we're wrong or if we're hurt, wouldn't going back to the one that has all truth and wisdom and the one that has all healing and comfort seem to be the right thing to do, the next best thing? But we've, we still don't find ourselves quick to confess. And so there's got to be more at play here, right? So I think, firstly, confession is difficult because of pride. But pride can manifest itself in different ways and for several different reasons. Um, I think there's a religious stigma that I talked about over over our, uh, uh, the the West Michigan Church or maybe the Midwest Church or maybe uh, the Church of of America uh, against confession. Now I know that, like there are some uh, some denominations and churches that have a a practice of confession and they they see it as a sacrament, um, but that's that's kind of gone. That, that's different. Okay, we're we're, we're not going to open up that bag of chips. You talk to. Uh, pastor adrian about that she grew up catholic reformed catholic Catholic. the more you learn so many in the modern church i think um are too proud and scared to confess there's this social pressure that that we have to have everything together or at the very least we have to look like we do right and that, that lie, that standard has weaseled its way into the church, and now there's this, this self-imposed rule by, by us that there's no room for us to, to mess up or make a mistake. There's no room for us to, to, to fail in some way, small or large, major or minor. And it would appear, sadly, that in, in many Christian circles, that the grace and mercy for a failure seems to come secondary to the, to, to the judgment and consequences. Now don't misread me or mis, mishear this, that I'm not saying that we sh- there shouldn't be consequences and that we should just be all loves and just accept people the, the way they are and where they're at. There's a way to have grace and mercy in the rebuke, and we should love someone too much to leave them the way they are. We're here to love them to Jesus, and, and Jesus doesn't leave people the way they are, right? So we feel this intense pressure, right, to save face, to keep it all together. If you've ever been in any, in any uh, mentorship position, if you've ever been in any pastoral or ministry position, you know the weight that, or, or a parent even, right? Like that you have to look like you have it all together. You can't appear vulnerable. We feel this way. And confession would burst that bubble. And everyone knowing that you don't have everything together would be the worst possible thing. (laughs) Well, I've got news for us, for you, that nobody's got it all together. I'm not buying it, right? I'm not buying it because it's not what the gospel says. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so... It doesn't matter how curated or nice your Instagram looks somebody else's Instagram looks it's not it doesn't matter what kind of car they drive or you drive or how happy uh, uh, their marriage looks or their family is or even how how spiritually on fire that person is nobody's got it all together we're all broken and we all have sin Besides you shouldn't be comparing yourself to those things either remember we compare ourselves to Jesus yeah. So it should always be something you're working on and growing in, right? Let me say it again. There should always be something you're working on and growing in. There's always something that you should be partnering with the Holy Spirit on in order to walk out your salvation, to be growing in your righteousness. Now, if you think there isn't anything that you should be working on, well, you should probably start praying about your denial. (laughs) And if you haven't thought about how you should be growing, you should start praying about your apathy and for a revelation of who Jesus is. And if you just think that you're really not that bad of a person, you should start praying for an awareness and a fear of the Lord. People knowing that you have sin in your life or that you don't have it all together is not the worst thing in the world. Not confessing and holding your sin in is much, much worse. You see, sinning and not confessing, that sin, it impedes the work of the Holy Spirit. And now if you walked away with one thing from here today, it would be that I want you to know that you need Jesus and that sinning and not confessing impedes the work of the Holy Spirit. Now actually, that's two things. I said two things there, and I know that. But I don't care. Sinning and not confessing impedes the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's get in some scripture and expose this. Two verses from Paul's writings. The first in his letter to Ephesians about grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 29-30, it says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve... The Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We have the ability to grieve God, to, to throw him into sorrow, to offend him. And obviously, when we're doing this, we're not working with Him, we're not working with the Holy Spirit. we are in fact against Him. In First Thessalonians 5:19, Paul also writes and warns us against quenching the work of the Spirit. It simply says, "Do not quench the Spirit. <laughs> that's the NRSV version, or if we want the extra spicy version and fitting for our series that we're in, the NIV says it is this, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Once again, we have the ability to work against what God is trying to do in us, and we see that the free will He has given us because He loves us, it comes into play, and we actually can reject God's Spirit. We can see another example of this quite clear, clearly from the martyr Stephen, or Stephen, Stephen, I don't know. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> right before he was killed, um, he, uh, he, he said this to the high priest in the synagogue uh, right after giving an account of the gospel. This is found in um, Acts 7, verse 51. He says, "'You stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised, and you are just like your ancestors.' you always resist the Holy Spirit. Not really surprisingly, that ticked off the high priest. <laughs> but when we sin, we are rejecting the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about your sin that way? Jesus says that he is, is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, the one who leads us to Jesus. And so without the Holy Spirit, we can't have revelation of Jesus. Jesus. We can't know truth, capital T, Jesus. We cannot be drawn to him. We cannot love him. In fact, when we sin, it even robs us of our ability to understand spiritual truth. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit helps us understand the will and gifts of God. This is now 1 Corinthians 2, 9-12. But as, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor, nor the human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except for the human spirit that is within. So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. And now we have not received a spirit of this world, but no, instead we have received a spirit that is from God. So that we may understand the gifts bestowed to us by God. We cannot understand what God wants for our lives and, we can, and, and, and what he has for us without the Holy Spirit. We can't even be impacted by scripture without the Spirit convicting us. And so it's kind of a, it's also a catch-22 because we can't be convicted of our sin without the Holy Spirit either. John 16, 7 through 8. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. It is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Remaining in step with God's Spirit is so crucial The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us to all truth. He is the one who draws us to Jesus, reveals him to us, and changes us to be more like him. He is the one that is our guide, our helper, and he's the one empowering you and changing you into into, uh, a little Christ, more like Jesus. And let me tell you, that the enemy hates. And so, hindering that at all costs... That's now the goal of the enemy, post-salvation. He wants to stunt the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He wants to limit, to thwart what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in you. His aim is to get you to hold on to your shame and your sin more than you hold on to Jesus. And I think his chief way of doing this is to keep you from confessing. For that, he works through pride and shame. And I've touched on pride a little bit, and, and, and so let's look at shame. But before I do, I, I was talking with Pastor Matt over there before I came up here of, of the movement uh, of church this morning. And there's been spiritual warfare going on, and we've been fighting against that since we've opened the doors, right? And now, as, as, as Zach was saying, like, we, we, we've, we've, we've cast it out as Pastor Adrianne Adrian, uh, was praying, we cast it out. We have, we have removed the spiritual presence, presences here that are not the Holy Spirit. So what's left? It's us and God. Which means the only thing now that can be standing between us and God is us. So that's what we're getting into. All right. Confessing. So, look, <laughs> not confessing is like keeping poison in your body. It keeps you sick and will continue to disintegrate you from the inside out through the identity of shame. Now, why why the identity of shame? Well, shame makes you want to hide. Shame makes you want to hide from the Father, not run towards Him. Look at the first sin with Adam and Eve. It says that at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So what did they do? They made clothes for themselves, and then after that, they hid. Now, shame and guilt on its own can be a good thing. I think on its own, it can convict us of our wickedness and lead us to to, to Jesus, to repentance, to change, right? But shame has an identity. Once it roots itself in, it convinces you that wickedness is all you are. And because wickedness is all you are, you can't be near the Holy One. Now, I'm not talking about the believer, I'm talking about somebody who is saved. When a believer identifies with their shame more than with the grace of Jesus, the result is self-separation and self-denial of God's presence. When you identify with your shame and your guilt more than with the grace of Jesus, the result is self-separation and self-denial of God's presence. It isolates you, or rather you isolate yourself. And you were never meant to be alone. That's right. Hold on again. You were never meant to be alone. You were never meant to be autonomous from God. You know you were never meant to function and think by yourself. It's all meant to be done with people, with community, with the body of Christ, and at the very least with God. It's like the enemy moves to plan B. Like, because you're saved from your sin, and and that is no longer able to separate you from God, he then focuses on your shame, the shame from your sin to be the thing that separates you from God. Do you see how that works? The enemy is sneaky and sly. (laughs) Now, I've had this um, kind of illustration um, of our inner selves as as a home and a dwelling place for the Lord. Um... And it, it as a place that we can invite him into for him to dwell in. And I've had this illustration develop over like the past year. And I've actually uh, used it in uh, one, if not both, my previous messages. But I want to use the illustration again. I want to use it to demonstrate the, dy- the dynamic of sin and shame as an act of barricading the door to your heart. Or the door to your inner self. Now, your, your sins are the board's that are used to barricade the door, and your shame is the act of you hammering them to the door. Now look, Jesus is a carpenter, and he can make some pretty beautifully different things with all those sin boards that you've made. But it's your shame. Your shame is you taking those boards and nailing them to the door instead of handing them to Jesus. And sadly, if we go on long enough, barricading our door like this... We can forget that we even have a door. (laughs) We can forget that there's a God out there that really wants to dwell in us and with us. Learning to ignore, deny, or simply become content with your barricaded door is a spiritual death. Learning to ignore, deny, or simply become content with your barricaded door, your sin, is a spiritual death. Now, obviously not beyond the, the, the work and capability of Jesus, right? But it is you settling. Because not settling, not being content with your sin, would look like you confessing. It would look like you giving those boards over to Jesus. Now, take care. I, I don't mean this, this metaphor to be specific. Remember, sin is conquered. Sin is dealt with. Jesus is victorious. But I do mean this metaphor... in in regards to your sanctification, in in, in regards to you walking out your salvation and becoming more righteous. And as a clarifier in this metaphor, remember, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus isn't dwelling in you. Jesus is a man in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. His Spirit is the one who is in you, dwelling in you, at your front door, asking to come in. And so sinning and not confessing or not coming into agreement with God about it, that impedes, limits, hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. It hinders him from coming through that door. And when we don't confess, we are trading that regenerative work of the Spirit for, in, in an intimacy with the Father, we're trading that for our sin and our shame. Wow. We're like the prodigal son that chooses to sit and wallow in the mud with the pigs instead of going home. You are meant to have the Holy Spirit living, dwelling, and residing in you. You are meant to have the Holy Spirit doing a good work in you. But we have the ability to hinder that. That's because our God truly loves us, and he gave us a free will to choose him, which in effect also gives us the opportunity not to choose him and to hold him at arm's length. And so now holding him at arm's length is the enemy's goal. So that's what happens when we don't confess. So what about when we do? I just said that confessing your sin isn't about your salvation, right? So why are we called to do it regularly? And it's, it's about intimacy with the Lord. But we can, we can add a little bit to this. Let's look at John 13, 5 through 11. So he, Jesus, got up from the table. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel around that he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So Simon Peter exclaimed, then, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what meant when he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. The the one who is bathed, the one who is washed in the blood of the lamb is saved, and once saved, always saved. But just because you've been cleansed you've, and you've been made new doesn't mean you won't be dumb and dirty yourself again. That's right. <laughs> but our actions can't nullify the actions of Jesus. It can't void the work of the cross. We need to be. We don't. We need not be saved. In entirety, again, it's only the feet that have been dirtied. Jesus is teaching us the need for daily confession and coming clean before the Lord. That's a good pun, coming clean before the Lord. (laughs) Confession of your sins is a matter of aligning yourself with God again. Of coming into an agreement with your actions and seeing it the way that God sees it. Another scripture to inform us of what confession is for, 1 John 1, 6-10. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, with him. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin... We are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he is faithful and and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, Jesus, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And so confession is for purifying. Confession is for you to get better. Confession is for you to become more holy and to become more righteous, to become more like Jesus. This is why it's good news. Other translations use the word cleanse instead of purify. Confession cleans. Confession cleans, <laughs> Confession cleans your ears so that you can hear. Confession cleans your eyes so you can see what God is doing in your life. Confession cleans your mouth so you can speak his words. Confession opens the door so that the Holy Spirit can come in and start cleaning you up. When we confess our sin, it removes that temporary barrier that has been placed between you and God. And now, in this way, once that barrier is gone, the Holy Spirit can work in a proper manner. It's a manner without restrictions or limitations or even time limits set up by you. (laughs) When we confess and are in agreement with God about our actions, about our sin, it's like an all-access pass for the Holy Spirit to do his thing. And with (laughs) all that access, he will begin teaching and revealing more to you. He will reveal more of Jesus to you, more of God's will for you, and even more of those sin boards that you were hiding in the closet over there. He'll even reveal boards that have become a part of you that you didn't even know about. You see, confession is our our daily tool and our spiritual tool belt we have in order to take thoughts captive. It's a partnership with the Holy Spirit that as He reveals sins in your life, you can then confess them and be done with them. Now, if, if you as a burning one sins... It's like throwing water on the fire. It quenches it. It turns the bright flames into smoldering coals, and now it needs to be rebuilt again. And, and trust me, hear me, God is waiting and wanting to blow his breath, his spirit, on the fire again and reignite it. But you've got to get out of the way. Confessing your sins is you getting out of the way. It's you handing those boards over to Jesus and reopening the door. So that's what we're going to do today. Worship team, um, if you could come up, I'm going to need help with this. <laughs> As they are coming up, I have another quick illustration that um, I actually had talking with, uh, with Kyle um, after Sons of Thunder on Wednesday. We were talking about um, what sin does to us and how it, how it turns us away from God. And so we, we, we are with God, right? So 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 God God's right here, we're chatting, it's cool, you know, we're living, we're doing life the way we should, right? But then sin catches our eye. Temptation comes, and we go. We do that double take, Do that double <laughs> take, right? And what's God's doing? He's like, hey, eyes right here, like, like this is this is good, this is what I have created for you, right? But but we start to to entertain the thought of that sin we start to, to imagine or plan how, I, how we might enact that out, right? And, and, and when we get to that point, what do we hear? We, we hear God still calling us, but now he's not the voice we want to hear, and so what do we do? We go from looking at him, being with him, to covering our ears and turning away, right? We turn away, and, 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 and then we give in to our flesh. We sin. and we realized that, that sin was empty that it was fleeting that it was corrupting that it was damaging that it hurt someone or hurt ourselves we realized that it's not what god had for us and we are found wanting and at this point once again we have an option we have the we have the option to confess and repent or we have the option to sit in either our pride or our shame and so, so we've we've turned, we've sinned, and 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 our pride would tell us to, to dig our heels in and be like, I can't be wrong, or I I'm I just want to be okay. I want this to be okay, and and it's it's continuing to be to be jaded, to have a cold shoulder, and to refuse to turn to the Lord, or it's our shame, and we sit in it and we fall in it, and we just can't. Overcome and we're captured by it. And we think that, look at what I've done. This is all I am. I can't be, I can't be my God. And we get stuck, we get stuck in our own heads and in our own shame. That's an identity of shame. But I promise you that it will always be Jesus smiling at you with an open and outstretched hand, welcoming you home. All that's left is celebration for you to come home. He's already paid the price. The hard part's over for him. It will always be undeserved grace. Both pride and shame are viewpoints that ultimately are chiefly more concerned either about what other people think about you or what you think and perceive yourself by. Neither of them are about what God thinks about you. Now, there is another reason why you may not want to confess, and it's actually much simpler. You don't want to change. At the end of it all, you won't confess because you like your sin. You like living in the flesh, and confession would mean that you have to change. My encouragement for you is to pray for God to change the desires of your heart. Not confessing is holding on to yourself and not holding on to Jesus. Whether pride or otherwise, you hold your sin in because you're scared of the burning. The purifying, the cleaning. And yeah, confession will hurt, but it's temporary. I promise you the pain of holding your sin in is much worse and much longer. The pain that comes in the purifying brings healing. James 5, 13 through 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Yeah, all of us, (laughs) let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make, them, uh, make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if you have sinned, and when you have sinned, <laughs> they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. Confession is part of the healing cycle for the Christian. It's part of walking in the light. It's part of partnering with the Holy Spirit and becoming more like Jesus. There's no way around it. It's what we as a church, as a body of Christ, need to be set apart by. We need the world to see that we are confessing people. We need the world to see that we are not prideful, that we are humble, that we are sitting at the foot of the cross and seeking the Lord. We are told that we would be a church that advances on our knees. And I think that it's meant to be through prayer, as we've all seen earlier today. But it's also by advancing on our knees through confession at the altar, at the foot of the cross, and at the feet of Jesus. That's all I wrote. Um, So I'm going to to pray. And I, with every ounce of authority that I've been given as your pastor, implore you to confess. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak gently and softly and expose the sins in our life. We just read in your scripture, Holy Spirit, that it's you that can convicts the world of its sin. Tell us, tell us, Lord, how we are not like you, how we are not like Jesus, so that we can move forward in confession and into healing. There should always be something you're working on, something you're growing in, something that the Holy Spirit is partnering you with, something that that he is cleaning on the inside of you. But you have a role to play. You have a part to play. And that's great because when we move, God loves to come alongside people who are moving, who are seeking him, who have a humble and contrite heart, who say, Lord, this is, this is my sin. But I know who you are, Jesus, and I know that you are victorious, and I know that I can share that. So in your name, Jesus, I accept the healing that is brought. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Take these these, these boards of sin that I keep creating, Take take them to Jesus, give them to him. Instead, teach me how to live, teach me how to love. So as we begin to worship I'm going to stay up here and I'm going to I'm going to continue to pray but please come to the altar and it doesn't have to be right here in front of stage this, this building anywhere in here is a place that you can get on your knees that you can confess that you can come to know the Lord that you can find healing here today as I said the only thing between you and the Lord now is you. So come, we're all broken, we've all got sin. We all are called to lay it down and let it go. Can you imagine if, 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 if when Jesus was traded for Barabbas, that Barabbas was like, no, I'll keep my chains and stay here, I don't wanna walk in freedom. That's us when we don't confess our sin, when we don't give it to the Lord. We're not letting Jesus do what he even came to do. He came for you to have freedom and to have healing. And that that that, that happens when we profess him and confess him as Lord and Savior, but it, it happens now and in our life and in the present time, not just in the eternal, when we confess. It's only good. And I know it's scary. I, I, I know that you're, you're, you're scared to, to, to talk to the Lord, and it might not even be because of him. It might be because of the person you've also sinned against. But if that fear, the fear of how you've wronged somebody else is keeping you from talking to the Lord about it, you've got a pride issue. So come, take an honest evaluation of your heart, of yourself. approached the throne. We are allowed to. That is what Jesus made available to us. So come, think, pray, consider, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal and confess. the pride and the shame I pray against the obstinance and the hard-heartedness father give us a soft heart take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh again breathe new life into these dry bones father listen there is no sin that you have done that has not already been done by somebody else that Jesus not seen coming that Jesus thought is outside of his ability to heal none of that none of what you've done or what you are going to do is beyond the work of the cross